I'm Reva Stout, and you're listening to A Therapist Can't Say That. During the interview I featured in my last episode, where I talked to Rachel K. Albers, who is a creative director, brand strategist, and marketing historian. She didn't ask me to call her a marketing historian, but I am calling her that. Rachel said something that I have been turning over and over in my mind since which is that marketing artificially accelerates the pace of human relationships. Marketing artificially accelerates the pace of human relationships. As soon as I heard her articulate that, something started to click into place for me about why therapists by and large tend to dislike marketing. And of course, primarily it centers around that word artificial. We tend to see artificiality as synonymous with being phony, with being fake. We see artificial as standing in opposition to authentic. And therapists like to see ourselves as being driven by authenticity. We want to get under the external layers of things and get to the real raw stuff. That's what we're into. That's a primary driver of getting into this kind of work. Probably we can't count too many colleagues among us who are not motivated by whatever they deem as authenticity on some level. So it's not a revelation that marketing often feels fake or superficial or inauthentic, whatever. That's the primary complaint I hear people make about having to do marketing. But when Rachel said that we use marketing tools to artificially accelerate the pace of human relationships, What clicked for me is something more about what exactly it is that we're feeling when we have that experience of this feels fake. And it's not something that can necessarily be easily remedied by saying, well, just do authentic marketing or just do ethical marketing or don't be a slime ball and promise people they're going to heal their life in three easy steps in 10 weeks or whatever. Because what we are feeling is actually a result of our accurate perception That by engaging in marketing, by using marketing techniques or tools, we are participating in a process where we are, I'm going to say, actively manipulating the pace of human relationships in a way that is out of sync with what that pace would otherwise be. Now, the idea of artificially accelerating the pace of human relationships implies that there is a natural pace to human relationships. And of course, the validity of the constructs of natural and artificial is a whole vigorous philosophical debate. But I'm going to invite us all to use some common sense, divest from that debate, and acknowledge that, of course, there is a natural pace and an artificial pace to the development of human relationships, even if it is, like most things that are a binary, not a strict binary. For the constructivists among you, I am saying that I think the constructs of natural and artificial have utility. So that raises the question, if by using marketing we are artificially accelerating the pace of human relationships, what are the qualities that we are accelerating? What is it that we are speeding up? Rachel mentioned one thing in our interview in regards to this, and and that is reputation. To market oneself is to speed up the development of our own reputation, what we are known for. And the other thing I would say we are accelerating via marketing is the sensation of knowing someone and of being known, right? If you read any basic stuff about marketing and branding, it will tell you that. 
You want to speak to your potential client, customer, whatever, in such a way that it makes them feel like you know them, even though you have literally never met them before, probably. Rachel alluded to this as well, this sense of one of the purposes of marketing being about making people feel seen. Again, even though you have never seen them individually as a person yet. We are accelerating the pace of the relationship so that we get to that feeling of shared knowing much more quickly than would happen in a typical person-to-person relationship where no marketing is involved. And that leads to some sense of trust developing much more quickly. Even if we are talking about someone who has a very difficult time trusting anyone, they are probably going to develop more trust faster if they're, say, making a first appointment with a therapist whose website they've looked at and liked versus if someone just handed them a name and a phone number and said, call this person and make an appointment. So that is one of the big reasons why I think we often feel so reluctant and uncomfortable around marketing is that we correctly perceive that we are manipulating and speeding up the pace of our relationships with our potential clients and we don't like that. But as I've been turning this over and over again in my mind, I realized, aren't we actually doing that anyway by the very nature of the work that we do? Think about it. As much as we may say we love authenticity, and I do, I do love authenticity. I'm not knocking us for that value. But as much as we may truly value authenticity, there is so much that is artificial, that is manipulated and contrived about the therapeutic relationship. For example, in the course of a typically paced human relationship, I do not tend to hand people an intake form and ask them to check off a list of boxes telling me what categories of traumas they may have experienced. I don't ask them apropos of nothing to tell me about family history of mental health diagnoses or unusual moods or behaviors in their family members. I don't do all the things, like think of all the things you do in your first sessions or in a consultation with a new client, all the things you do to make them feel seen by and comfortable with you. You probably don't just do all those things right off the bat in every relationship you have outside of the context of your work as a therapist. But Reva, some of you are saying, we're healthcare workers and that's just professionalism. That's just the stuff we need in order to do our jobs. What about doctors? They do those things too. Are doctors artificially accelerating the pace of human relationships? Well, maybe kind of. I think there's a case to be made that the construct of professionalism itself is mostly just marketing and a tool to accelerate the pace of human relationships anyway. But setting that aside, It's different for us. It's different for therapists because for therapists, our relationships with our clients are our foundational intervention. I've had doctors with whom I had next to no relationship beyond a few practical communications who nevertheless gave me life-transforming medical care. We can't do that. The therapeutic relationship is our foundational intervention. In my opinion, that is an indisputable fact. As many critiques and quibbles and deep concerns as I have about the body of research on psychotherapy, the primacy of the therapeutic relationship is the closest thing we have in our field to gravity exists or climate change is real. As attached as you may be to your modalities and your library of interventions, and I am very attached to mine, 
they rest on the bedrock of the quality of our relationships with our clients. So given that, given how absolutely critical our relationships with our clients are to us simply being able to do our work, of course we are artificially accelerating them. Of course we are deliberately manipulating the relationship to speed it up. Can you imagine if we didn't? We'd never get there. We'd never do the thing that we are there to do. To get to the point where we can utilize the therapeutic relationship to help clients make change at the pace they and we are actually capable of, to create the conditions that make effective therapy possible, we have to speed up the pace of the relationship using some sort of artificial means. So I wonder then, why are we by and large pretty comfortable with that? to the point that we don't really think about it that way, to the point that it took me a few weeks of mulling over this concept of artificially accelerating human relationships before I realized, oh, duh, that's a thing that I am doing with people that I deeply care about every workday. Why are we comfortable with that means of accelerating our relationships with our clients? And we by and large are not comfortable with marketing. I don't think it's because the therapeutic tools we use are inherently less artificial or less manipulative or generally more personally congruent or authentic to our personhood than marketing tools. I really don't. Think about how you felt in your, in my program, we called it practical skills. I know a lot of programs call it micro skills, but in your micro skills class, the first time you had to do a demo session where you paraphrased what your mock client was saying, do you remember how awkward that felt? Do you remember in that class the first time you had to reflect feeling and you said, sounds like you feel really sad? It felt weird. I think there's been a little bit of a pretense going around, at least going around the internet in recent years, that this kind of paraphrasing, reflecting feeling, etc., that this is the typical instinctual way that most people express empathy or compassion to each other in the typical course of human relationships. It's not. It's a specific tool that the vast majority of people have to be specifically taught. And it's a tool that has a specific purpose, which is to make the recipient of this kind of expression feel seen and heard, yes, but also to keep them talking, which speeds up the progression of the relationship. I remember specifically my professor for that class telling us how most people's response to hearing their words paraphrased will be to continue talking. And I know I'm not the only one who has tried to end a session with a paraphrase and immediately encountered the problem that it predictably creates the opposite result. The reason that saying things like, sounds like you feel really sad, doesn't feel awkward in that same way anymore is because we've practiced it so many times. We've gotten to observe how the tool works, figure out the most appropriate times to use it, and we've incorporated that kind of language into our sense of ourselves as therapists. Something that didn't feel congruent with our sense of self to begin with has become so with time and practice. And what I think is really interesting about this is that these basic therapeutic tools, this type of language, is at least partially responsible for the pretty common critique of therapists, which is that we're phony, right? Even as therapy is being heavily normalized via social media culture these days, that idea is still prevalent that therapists are fake, that we're phony. There's that stale old joke, 
that won't die about how we respond to everything by saying, how did that make you feel? Which of course is a phrase that most of us contemporary therapists avoid like the plague. But the grain of truth that's still present in that old standby is that in therapy, we often use language that is affected in certain ways, that is contrived, that there is a certain level of inescapable artifice involved in our craft. So if we accept that, if we accept that inherently marketing involves artifice and inherently therapy involves artifice, that in both cases we are inevitably using artificial means to speed up the development of a relationship and that sometimes marketing feels fake and sometimes it feels authentic and sometimes therapy feels fake and sometimes it feels authentic. Why is that? If the artifice is a given, so it's not the presence or absence of artifice that is making the difference in the feeling of fakery versus the feeling of authenticity. What is it? Part of the answer, and one that I think we really need to internalize, is that artifice is not the opposite of authenticity. Not only that, artifice is not mutually exclusive with authenticity, and not only that, Sometimes artifice is the best way to facilitate a deeply authentic experience. To illustrate that last point, that sometimes artifice is the best way to facilitate a deeply authentic experience, I'm going to use an anecdote from my undergrad years. So I was a creative writing major. And in one of my short story fiction writing classes, my professor, Mark Poirier, Hi, Mark, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are not, gave us an assignment to record someone, our friends, whoever, having a spontaneous conversation and then to transcribe it and bring it to class as a way of having us work on our dialogue writing skills. And may I add that smartphones did not yet exist at this time, so it was a more inconvenient assignment than anyone would find it to be now. I had to borrow my ex-roommate's mini tape recorder. So we did this. Everybody found a tape recorder, I guess. We recorded the conversations. We transcribed them. We brought them in, looked them over. And the lesson was not to write dialogue that sounds like real conversations. The lesson was that real conversations make bad dialogue. Real conversations are disjointed. People do not articulate themselves very clearly much of the time, and they don't sound like what we imagine real conversations sound like. We think that creating fiction means making up imaginary events and people, but it also means creating through dialogue this representation of what we think people sound like that is not really what anyone sounds like at all. At the end of this lesson, my professor said, your job as fiction writers is to lie about everything except emotion. Just to hammer that point again, if you write dialogue that sounds like real people talking, you will be communicating authentic emotion less well than dialogue that has an element of contrivance. In fiction writing, it takes a level of artifice to make possible the kind of emotional resonance that you want dialogue to evoke. And I believe that is something very similar to what we're doing with therapy and with marketing. There is a level of artifice that makes an authentic emotional experience possible. So again, the question isn't, do we use artifice or don't we? The question is, how do we use artifice to facilitate the most authentic experience possible? And while there are many contributing factors to that, the heart of what we are looking at here, I think, is that we find a way to use artifice 
that is in alignment with our integrity. It's important to say here that in my estimation, acting in alignment with our integrity is not the same thing as acting in alignment with our ideals. Acting in alignment with our ideals is generally not possible. If it is for you, then set your sights higher and get better ideals because what's possible in the here and now of our present reality is a pretty low bar. Acting in alignment with our ideals is a fantasy. It can be a helpful fantasy. The fantasy of acting in alignment with our ideals of what that would be like if we could can tell us something important about who we are and what we believe in. But when it comes to practical decision making, well, your ideals and two bucks fifty will get you a ride on my city's public transit system. That is to say, they won't take you very far. Acting in alignment with your integrity, in my estimation, means looking with honesty at the limitations of your circumstances, identifying how it's possible to express your values through action in the context of those limitations, and then taking that action. I'm going to flesh out what I mean by using artifice in alignment with integrity with another example here. So there was a time years ago with a long-term client and just thinking of her, I love this client so much, just such a deep fondness for her. But we were in session and she said that she was worried she was annoying me. And I responded by saying, I'm not experiencing you as annoying. She laughed at me a lot for that. She said it was such a therapisty thing to say, and she was absolutely right. Like, who says that? Therapists. There is a contrivance to that kind of language. It's a device. I personally would not use that language with a friend. I would not use it with my kid. I would not use it with a partner. And not just because my friends and kid and partner probably are annoying me. I kid, I kid. But the point is, I used that device. She called me out on that contrivance. We shared a good laugh. And it was an authentic expression of my experience in that moment. And it was a helpful intervention for the client, maybe more so than if I had just said, no, you're not annoying me or whatever other more casual, non-therapeutic version. Contrast that to those times that I have used the artifice inherent in the therapeutic relationship in a way that is not aligned with my integrity. And the example I'm going to give here is the example of times that I have phoned in a session, meaning that I am showing up to session and essentially doing the minimum, putting in a minimal effort. This is a tender topic because we have all done this. We will all do this again, and we don't like that we've done it and we'll do it again because it's not in alignment with our integrity and we worry it makes us look bad. So I just wanna normalize in general, the reality that acting out of alignment with our integrity is part of the human condition and that phoning in sessions is something every therapist has done and will do from time to time. Doesn't make you a bad therapist. Sometimes it's the least harm option versus canceling a client's session. And friend, if you could get through those first few weeks of pandemic sessions in March 2020, banged out without phoning any of them in, having the same Groundhog Day session with every client talking about COVID, well, refer me to your prescriber, I guess, because I want some of what you're having. But anyway, this is probably, I would guess, the most common way that we use therapeutic artifice in violation of our sense of integrity. We can all paraphrase, validate, reflect feeling, et cetera, et cetera, in our sleep at this point. And in those phoning it in sessions, that's kind of what it feels like we're doing. And we know, right, that using artifice in that way doesn't feel authentic. It's artifice and it's fake. 
And if our clients clock us in those moments, they feel that way too. So I think when we then turn to our marketing, it is instructive to look at our marketing practices through that same lens. How do I use the artifice of marketing to serve authenticity in a way that is in alignment with my integrity? For me, I have learned that it is in alignment with my integrity to have my marketing materials represent me at my best. Not somebody else's best, not what I wish was my best, not representing myself as having skills I don't have, but me at my best as a therapist. For me, it is in alignment with my integrity to share with potential clients my vision of what I believe people are capable of through doing trauma processing work. It is not in alignment with my integrity to overpromise about outcomes. So threading that needle can be a bit nuanced. It is not in my alignment with my integrity to pretend that my self-interest is not a factor in some of the decisions I make about my practice. So for example, when I first started more heavily marketing my practice, which is a self-pay, no insurance practice, I felt some pressure to spin my decision to not take insurance as if it was solely motivated by concern for the client's well-being. And I kind of did spin it that way for a while, And then I stopped and I rewrote that section of my website because it really wasn't honest to pretend that my own self-interest wasn't a major factor in the decision not to take insurance and it didn't feel good to engage in that pretense. So the artifice is still there. I'm still using my website to artificially accelerate my relationships with potential clients. But I brought that piece into a sense of alignment with my integrity. And what's really cool about it is now I can use my marketing materials, my website in particular, as a tool for holding myself accountable to the therapist I want to be. When I examine the way I am representing myself and I find pieces that are out of alignment, it gives me the opportunity to look at whether the problem is with the representation, am I maybe promoting a vision that is too idealistic or somehow out of sync with who I know the best version of my therapist self to be? Or is there a way that my performance is dragging? Are there ways in which I know I could be showing up as this best therapist self more of the time that I am not? My brand, my representation of myself as a therapist can be a mirror for that for me. What I am really hoping for, for those of you who are listening and who struggle with these issues around artifice and authenticity is that viewing it through this lens, seeing artifice as something that can serve authenticity if we do it right, if we do it from a place of finding the ways we can use artifice in alignment with our integrity, meaning again, that we are expressing our values through action in the context of our limitations and capabilities. I'm hoping that looking at it this way will help you embrace and get excited about the possibilities of marketing. Get excited about the artifice. Get excited about the performance and the creativity of it. Ethical marketing may not be possible when it comes to our ideals because presumably, again, our ideals do not include practicing therapy in this semi-post-industrial capitalist global warming hellscape. But I believe that responsible, integrity-aligned marketing is possible when we make a good faith effort to earn the trust and the familiarity that we are using marketing tools to artificially accelerate. Thank you for being here with me on A Therapist Can't Say That. 
If you've been enjoying the show, it would be so helpful to me if you would rate, review, and of course, follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And please continue sharing the show with your therapist friends, your therapists, your supervisors, and anyone who wants a window into the depths of this weird work we do. You can find me, Reva Stout, at intothewoodsportland.com. I always welcome your thoughts on any of the topics we have been exploring here, your a therapist can't say that moments, or any ideas you may have for topics or guests you would like me to feature. So if you have something you would like to share with me, you can shoot me an email or send me a voice note at reva at intothewoodsportland.com. I would love to hear from you. Talk to you next time.